0: So for 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 those that are with us for the first time or have been around we been at, at something really simple in January called Jesus at the center. And really my heart in it was the this sense for me personally and then for us as a church community of returning to the simplicity of what it means to follow Jesus and to make him Lord of our lives. And so we looked at that as a community and in my passion, I desire to, to kind of help us understand that. And maybe sometimes that's a lot of information. And so what I felt the Lord just challenged me to do is to create um, opportunities for him to do what he wants to do. Not that we weren't doing that, but just to create some intentional ways to do that. And I felt him speak to me a number of ways. I'm not going to share all of this this morning, but I, just to kind of to frame what I want to say this morning. Um, I felt him saying, look, I, there are many things that I'm seeking to do and to pour out. There are many people I'm seeking to bring for healing and transformation in life to, to set free. People that are not uh, used to being in church or being around church communities. People that are desperately needing the power of God to show up in their lives. People that you might need to adjust the way you interact to uh, to welcome and to embrace. But he says, but you're not ready. And maybe he was speaking to me. Maybe he was speaking to all of us. But I need you to be able to hold that and so I felt him just speak to me about a number of things. And the key thing was to do with identity. Now I've done a lot of work on identity with God and who I am, and I'm sure you have too, but I just felt him like putting his attention on that again, not to go all internal and to like you know insular and like uh, close off, but actually it's so that we might be in a position to offer the grace, gracious power of God to others. See, when you're acutely aware of rejection or insecurity Or you are so concerned about whether you belong or don't. Whether you're loved or not. When you're grappling and literally grasping for anything you can find. Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. Just to feel like you have some significance in this world. It takes all of your energy. And you do not see the things that God would have you do. And the enemy is so easily picking you off. Because an offense that's given or a circumstance that happens that sets something off and quite quickly and I, this happens to me, we find ourselves going to old narratives, I don't belong I'm not significant I'm no good, nobody loves me, I'm all alone you, you fill in the blank, there's lots of different ways we express that and yet those things though they might be our experience and we may need to address those and make amends for them in relationship with others they are not ultimately true true of the good news of Jesus. And so what I felt like he wanted to do was begin to just put his finger on some of those. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give us a little bit of an overview of what I felt God kind of helped me with on the area of identity. And then what we're going to do for a number of weeks before Easter is we're going to take one thing each week based on what I say this morning. And we're going to do a shorter talk, maybe 15-20 minutes just highlighting that bringing some understanding to that I'll have a slightly shorter worship at the beginning and then we're going to create a bit of space to actually engage with that with God to give him an opportunity to not just change our understanding but actually to begin to do something in us in the area of our hearts in our emotions in our bodies whatever way that we need him to we're going to have a number of different ways we can do that so bring journals if you have them Uh, we can provide paper we're going to have a cross which is the next door which we've had set up we'll have a communion table out or the eucharist Um, we'll have a number of different ways that you can physically embody that response and engage with god's spirit who is actively seeking to do something in your life and we'll have prayer ministry people offering to pray for you and it'll be It might be quiet, it might be chaotic, it might be dynamic, I I really don't know. It might be people shining out in the worship, I I don't know what it'll look like. I'm not looking to make it chaotic, I'm not looking for something, but I'm, I'm wanting us as a community to recognize that unless God's spirit gets a hold of us, it does not change. You can go over and over the same thing all your life mentally assenting to truth, but unless he embodies it in your physical being and integrates your personality around that truth, then it does not bear fruit. Does that make sense? So so let me, for a moment, try and talk about that. The way I am understanding it is this. We've been talking about putting Jesus at the center of our lives. What we want to get into is how do we actually live with Jesus at the center of our lives? Like how does that actually operate and work? How does this kingdom life that Jesus has invited us into that many of us have responded to with faith, how do we actually day to day live that out in a way that leads to transformation, that allows us to be agents of change in the world? And so I want this to be both Helping, Helpful in understanding, but also I wanted to get to practical. So some of the weeks that we go into, it'll be really practical. We'll talk about some practical stuff. And But the first thing I wanted to do was just to talk about the issue of identity and to frame it in everything that we've been talking about for, for some time now in the story of God. Like, Why is this thing of identity so important, uh, our image? What is it that has happened to us as human beings that means it's a question And a predicament or a problem, if you want to put it that way, although I don't like the word problem, I think it's it's negative connotations. But anyway, I digress. Why is it an issue for us? And what is it that Jesus came to do through his death and resurrection that has brought a solution to humanity, but at the very core of our being? It's not just the forgiveness of sins, it is that it's beautiful. It's not just the healing of our physical bodies, which is available, which it is. It's not just this future salvation where we get to go to heaven or whatever um, that looks like for us. It's, It's all of those things, but it actually is a transformation of the whole entire being. Where you, when you say yes to Christ Jesus and you put him as Lord of your life, something shifts in your interaction with God in a tangible visceral way your engagement with the spiritual realm the Bible calls the kingdom of God or the life unto the age as John says where you were dead to that world you come alive spirit of God impacts your heart and causes you to come alive to a world that you were of. and Jesus came to make it available to you and then not only that but through Jesus' ascension on, uh, and, and sending of the spirit he then offers a foretaste of that life, which one day you will live without restriction through the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do is try and help us understand how does that work? And how do we live in that? And not just as a concept, but as, as a real thing that, that actually affects our real bodies and emotions and minds and spirits. Does that make sense? So why, why is this important? Who are we really? Like, who are you? How do you answer? You don't have to, this isn't a call and response that we often do that, but who are you? Like, ask that question. Who is Ben Yun? You know, who is Shan Lee? Who, who am I really? How do I answer that question? And why do I matter? Do I matter and why? And you might have really clear answers for that, but how you answer that question is hugely important. It's an identity question, it's probably the question of our age. And I, I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs of that. We may do at some point, but I want to explain, according to the biblical story, why this is an issue. Um, the story of the Bible, and I know we've done this many times, but just for for a repeat, the story of the Bible tells us that God created the earth, and humanity is beautiful. We use the words, you know, beautiful broken. Can you remember these? Beautiful, broken, healing, whole. Just for primary school, that's not not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, The world was created beautiful and humanity has a unique place in that creation story and are created as the image of God. So Genesis story, we're not going to go over, but God created in his image as beautiful. So just hold that for a minute. Because the biblical, biblical story answers the question of identity right from the outset. It's a core thing in humanity. Who am I really? Well, I am a reflection of the triune God created beautiful after his likeness. And I know this is repeat, but just it helps me set very simply, what what we're talking about. The biblical story also talks about how that has been broken through our attempts to go our own way. And you can read this story in Genesis yourself. I'm not going to go over it this morning because we've done it many times. But the second idea is that our image is broken in some way, that it has been shattered and distorted by this thing the Bible calls sin, which is our self-rule. It's our attempts to order our lives good and bad apart from god it's autonomy it's our attempts to make things right without the god who loves us and created us after his image and so what happens in the moment at least according to the story of the bible is that something gets broken and distorted at the very core of who we are as human beings and we all feel it something that, because the way god has created us according to the story of the Bible, is that our understanding of who we are and how we live well in this world centers around our connection to the training God. That's how he created us. He created us to commune well with him and through relationship with him to be be a blessing on the earth. So when that gets dislocated, something fractures at the very core of who we are as human beings. And we all feel it. and We're all trying to answer it in some way. Now, I know I'm simplifying this this morning, but I think it's helpful just to set it out. And so everybody's asking this question because if we don't go to the source for that answer, we have to answer it some way, right? Who am I? Do I matter really? Do I belong? Am I of value? Am I significant in this world? And we have... Multiple stories, competing narratives, seeking to be an answer to that. Not all of them bad, not all of them negative. Um, But what happens in that is that if we don't go to the source to answer that question, at some point, that stuff begins to break. It doesn't really solve our issue. And so we grapple and grasp for some answer to our identity question in whatever way we can. And maybe that's been an experience for you. And we all have these things. You know, what do we do when we're feeling rubbish about ourselves? What do we do when someone's criticized us or rejected us? We find a way to make us feel good, <laughs> to feel something that has, is different than the way that person made me feel. Or when I'm suddenly aware that, you know, maybe I, I I have a an argument with my spouse and there's a reaction in me, you know, oh, nobody likes me, everybody's always against me. What do I do in that moment to answer that question? And you'll probably find that sometimes you go to God, but there's a series of things that you go to answer that. Does that make sense? The way um Hughes articulates this is really helpful for me and I think it's true of the story of the Bible and I just want to take a moment very quickly just to to explain this when you go to someone else or something else to answer any question but to answer in particular the question at the heart of humanity which is who are you really and do you matter that thing in the scripture is called an idol I mean, that sounds like a strange language to use. We don't talk about idols a lot in this part of the world, but we have them. <laughs> but I think for what we're gonna do over the next few weeks, I think it's a really helpful way to understand it. So when you go to God at something else to answer the deep questions of your life, particularly around the issue of identity, that thing becomes, is, is in biblical language, an idol. And idols contain, Powerful ideas, stories or narratives to tell you another way to meet this question's need without God. God can't do that for you if he exists. But this is a solution that will work. Maybe it's about significance through what you do. Maybe it's about a political... Vantage point of the world that is going to solve the economic problems and bring utopia to one world. Or maybe it's a particular, you know, maybe it's on the right and a way of dealing with the problems of people's lack of responsibility. Maybe it's on the left and dealing with the rich that are stealing everybody's money. You know, we all have all, we're all in that spectrum somewhere, but. They have powerful ideas, and not all of them are wrong. Some of them have elements of God's kingdom, and I'll talk about that another week. But when those things are the source or the answer to those questions, they actually become what we call in the Bible language an idol. What do I mean by that? They are things we go to for our worship. But here's the thing. C.S. Lewis, um, I think, really helps us, says this idols ultimately break the heart of those who worship them again this is a biblical story you may not believe the biblical story and that's okay we can have conversations about that but i'm just giving you my worldview based on how i've encountered the good news of jesus and the story of god contained in the bible and i'm just i'm sharing that with you but in in the biblical story the way blessing and life comes to humanity is through our trust in god And trust is always in the story, an act of worship. So when humanity breaks trust with God and no longer goes to him for worship, then they have to find another space to get that need answered. Like it's it's built into us. You can't ignore it. Like we're made for relationship, we're made for, for identity, we're made for significance in the world, we're made to create. God put that into us. And so you need to find a way to do that. But every other way that is not God ultimately leads to emptiness and just increases the brokenness of the story on the earth. It might help for a moment, but it leads. It cannot provide the life that God offers through Christ. Does that make sense? Are you getting the picture so far? Yeah. So we are formed by what we worship and whatever that is for you is an important question to ask. So I'm setting up for next week. I, I shared that, um, that idea that, that C.S. Lewis talks about. Idols always break the hearts of those who worship them. I mean, maybe we could think, I'm not going to give an example because I'll I'll not think of it very well and then I'll get myself into deep water, but think of one for yourself. Like, think of an idea in this world. Okay, if I just have enough stuff and I'm not worrying about debt anymore and I've got a nice house with a nice job and a nice family nothing too chaotic going on, no real problems, you know, everything's safe and comfortable, not putting my head above the parapet. you know, climbing up the ladder slowly, then everything will be all right and I will have life and happiness. That's a very simple idea, but that's one. Does it work? If it does, then uh, like I'd like to hear about you, but what happens, you know? you lose your job, or the relationship has conflict, or something happens. This world is not like a straight line. And it it falls down, and even if you had it, there's an emptiness to it. Success, we could talk about sexual fulfillment and the ideas that are around that. We talk about a whole host of ideas. But all of them ultimately lead to an increased emptiness in our heart, and they do not fulfill the answer to that question, who am I really? And why do I matter? I know many of you know this, but I just want to set a bit of a framework for the next few weeks. So what, what about me and you then? What is that actually, what are we talking about here in identity? Um, the simplest way for me to understand this, we talked about the story of God. And when it comes to Jesus, The Bible talks about Jesus coming as the image bearer of God. So he comes in human flesh, in human form. The fancy word for it is incarnation. But what what the Bible's trying to tell us through the story is that he comes as a perfect reflection of what God intended humanity to always be, but has been distorted by sin and he comes and he takes on all of the distortion, all of the ways in which we have dehumanized one another, the ways in which we have tried to answer the question, the ways we have pillaged and distorted and destroyed our world, the decay, the pain, and he takes it all on himself, physically embodying it on the cross. The fullness of rejection, like who likes being rejected? It's horrible takes that in its fullest form on the cross, dehumanized, neglected, alone, the vent of anger and distaste, all sorts of stuff. He takes it on his body on the cross in order that he might be a solution to our brokenness and the ways in which we have been distorted at the very core of our being. This is the good news that the Bible tells. And through the resurrection, the Bible talks about this resurrection moment <coughs> being a moment of a new creation. It's harking back to the story that we had at the very beginning where God created and breathed on humanity. And it says, Paul writes, that Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. He, he is the, the new humanity, if you want to be fancy about it. And so he comes as this new creation being, breaking the power of the ways in which we have been distorted. And then this beautiful thing happens. He says, look, I'm going, but I'm going to send the spirit who will be my presence with you until I return, who will be the one through whom this new creation project that I've started will come. I know these are like deep ideas, but are you with me so far? I'm trying to set up a story so that it's helpful. And so then Christ Jesus gives us a choice. Do I continue to center my life around me? Am I grappling for ideas and ways to deal with this question of am I any value and do I really matter? Am I going to be the captain of my own ship and the center of my own story? Or am I going to come to him and lie? Jesus to be at the center of my story? And that's a choice that Jesus offers everyone. We talked about this idea of the story being, um, the, the biblical story being a narrative that focuses on Christ and the cross. You know, if Jesus is not the center of the story, it's not the kingdom story. And if the cross is not the center of the remedy, then it's not the kingdom story. And so when it comes to this issue of identity, the solution that, that the Bible story, the good news story offers is Christ and the cross. So we're gonna kinda unpack that together over the next few weeks. But the question about who you are is a question of who's going to answer that for you. Is it going to be me and my way of understanding it, or is it going to be Christ? And uh, there's this beautiful uh, book that I haven't read, (laughs) but I've got it to read. Um, But it's a guy, Henry Nguyen, who's a really interesting fellow. But he he meditates on the story of the (coughs) prodigal son, um, which I will tell another time. Um, but through his meditations on this story, which is really a story about God rescuing humanity, he comes up with five lies about our identity. And uh, I've boiled them down into four because I thought five would be too many. <laughs> and I, I felt like I'd put stamp on it. Um, but what we want to do over the next few weeks is I want to take each of these and unpack them. And I want to unpack them with that story I've just told that we were created beautiful, we've been broken at the core, but Christ has come as the answer to these questions of our identity, and here's how we respond to that and walk in that. So that's where we're going. And um, but the four lies that he, he reflects on is, and they, these may be familiar to you, and you probably can, can't see that very well, but um, it's a Rembrandt's prodigal son, just to be a bit cultured. Um, but I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what others say or think about me, or I am either no better than my worst moment or nothing less than my best moment. Let me give you those again. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what others say or think of me. I am nothing more than my worst moment or nothing less than my best moment. And this is just a, a framework. We could have used lots of different ones, but it helps, for me, give language to what happened in the garden in the area of our identity. When we stop letting God, our lives be centered around God and what he says we are, we try to find other ways. And here's how some of those ways could be articulated. I am what I have. It's about status. It's about stuff. It's about what I can get. I am what I do. It's about my significance. It's about my contribution in the world. It's about how good I'm doing at my job. It's about the difference that I'm making in people's lives. It's about how people will remember me. It's about the, the legacy that I leave. All good things, but when that gets centered around our identity, it becomes an idol for us. I am what others think or say about me. This is this is my one. I mean, I'm, we're all of them, but like significantly, we... we, we We care so deeply and understandably about what others think of us. And so that's okay. We need one another. We should be a source of blessing and kindness and encouragement to one another. That's what the church should be. But when that is our source, what happens? Someone criticizes me. I hit an emotional dive. My whole world is falling apart because what? That was my trust. Like, I needed that to answer the question about my identity. And when it falls down or it breaks down, my whole life falls apart because it's the wrong source. It's an idol with a false but powerful idea that will only lead to emptiness and brokenness. It's not Christ who can be the only one to answer my identity and who says that I am significant regardless of what others think about me. So that's what we're going to do together. That process to finish. How do we how do we how do we engage with that? Well, we're gonna unpack some of the ways we can do that in the next few weeks. But I wanna set up a very simple understanding of what it means for us to move from answering the question of identity ourselves to answering to, to Christ answering our question. We we looked last week at the idea that Jesus was the gate or the door so the entrance through which we find life sounds like they're having fun next door doesn't it um, the entrance through which we find life and receive life so he is the one who we go to to answer this question these questions um, but the process that we go through to shift from who how we answer our questions yes we should just shout for, for fun to compete definitely should we do it after three You ready okay we're going to shout just for a laugh, see what the response is, okay? After three, one, two, three, come on! Yay! Yay! Interesting, we'll see if they notice at all. Probably not, oblivious, oblivious. Um, the way that, that some of the writers of the New Testament describe that process of, of laying down, I guess, our own attempts to answer the questions that are deep in our heart, and inviting Christ as the center of our lives to answer those questions. It's described like a death. It's described like an identification with Jesus's death on the cross and with his resurrection. It's, it's kind of quite extreme language, but one of the um, metaphors that they use is baptism. Many of you are familiar with that, but it's like in, in that time, it was a full immersion Underwater and a coming out of the water and it was the same sim- <laughs> Right one more time just for fun. Just for fun. Okay, I know where this is probably totally unnecessary But anyway, after three ready one two three Yay! Oh, That's fun. All right, um, so yeah it, it, baptism is this idea that we we physically immerse our lives under the water and come out of the water, and it's an idea that we die to something, and we come alive to something else, and I think it's a really helpful picture. Let me just read uh, to finish Paul's writings about this, because I think this is going to set the kind of tone for what God wants to do with this. He says this in his letter to the Romans. He says, aren't you all aware that you and I were baptized into Christ Jesus? So the baptism as a physical thing was a An invitation to join this new humanity, this new community in Jesus. And so he says, that's what he's saying. He said, do you not know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ Jesus, into this new life. Something changed for you. Your interaction with the spiritual realm changed when you said yes to Christ. It's like a baptism. (laughs) Um, We were therefore buried with him through this act of baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you and I may also walk in newness of life. So you understand the picture? When you say, no, I don't want to be the captain of my ship anymore. I don't want to go to any other source or idea or idol for my identity issue. I have come to know that Christ is all in all. He is the king. He is the new humanity, the way to live this life, and he is the solution to the things that are broken inside of me. Paul says it's like a death takes place. You identify with the death of Christ, put in your old way on the cross, and you come alive to this new way of life through the Spirit. It's quite a dramatic picture, isn't it? But I think it's a really helpful one because what we're going to do over the next uh, few weeks is we're going to identify with that in these areas so that if you say yes to Jesus is something that's happened for you in a, a, a profound way something has changed if you say fully yes to Jesus something has changed in the way you've been made alive to God and interact with his world something's changed. But sometimes we get caught into the old patterns of life or the momentum of our stories, our histories, things that have shaped us deeply, the things that happen to us now in the world that are broken and painful, begin to try and convince us that that is no longer reality, this is what is true. So maybe you had an experience of abandonment growing up and that's a strong way that you have been shaped. And though you are no longer abandoned, you are caught up and adopted into the family of God. You're a new creation and never again to be neglected. That story still seeks to shape your life. It's not party anymore. It's not alive in you anymore. You, you, you put it to death in a sense. But the enemy is still seeking to make you ineffective in this new life. And so he tries to make that the dominant story again. So maybe something happens that is difficult in your life and it calls that story up into question. And in our physical bodies, in our emotions, in our muscle memory, in every area of our physiology, neurology, neurology, <laughs> neurology, we begin to feel those things and we need again to identify with the truth that Christ has put to death that reality and we are no longer who we used to be. And one of the identifications that Paul talks about is through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So that's why we think it's one of the reasons for the Eucharist. <laughs> like it's an identification over and over again, every week in some places, with uh, Christ died, therefore I died, and he came alive, therefore I have come alive to a new way of life, to walk in the way of the Spirit, not in this other way we need reminded of that over and over again because every other story around you is shaping you in a different way and trying to force you to walk and go to other sources other than Christ. Does that make sense? So that's the picture. But we need to understand that as a whole being. And sometimes in the church, and I'm guilty of this, we only do it articulating information from the Bible, which I've done this morning. And that's helpful. It begins to set things off for you. But sometimes you don't need an answer here because the trauma is in here. It's literally in your body. And you need the spirit of God to come upon your body and to heal you at the core of your emotional being and the ways in which that has formed and distorted you and bring you into in greater measure the new life that you have in Christ. And I don't know that we've been giving him enough opportunity to do that. And so the things that we're going to do, you're going to try and create room for that. And we're not going to work anything out, but I'm going to anticipate that God's going to do some deep work with you if you want him to, and if you interact with him with faith. Faith is simply an act of trust. And oftentimes, it's a physical thing. So coming out for someone to pray for you and lay hands on you is an act of faith. You're saying, I need help. I need someone to partner with God to meet with me. That is a place of vulnerability. It's also a place of I need you and God often meets you. Taking the bread and the wine is a physical act of trust. I believe that you died for me and shed blood for me. And in this interaction, I'm reminding myself that you've given me new life through your death and resurrection. And one day that will fully be present when my body is completely resurrected. That's another story for another day because I know we go off. But that's where that's going. At some point, the jars of clay or the broken bodies that we have will be replaced and the newness of life that we have in part now through the Holy Spirit will fully immerse us and we will be new beings like Christ was. I know that's a heavy concept for Sunday morning, but I'm just, it's important. Can I pray for us? You excited? Nervous? All of the above? Good, I am. Uh, but I'm also aware that none of what I can say, O oh Lord, can change a person's life. Only you can. And so, oh Lord, I ask that you would even get to work now, in this moment. And I repent personally, meaning I, I'm sorry for the ways that I have sought to do this myself without you. And I ask that you would help me come into life <coughs> with doing this with you for the ways that I have not given you opportunity for me or for, for these guys, for you to encounter them in a profound way. And I pray that whatever space we give you, as fumbly and stumbly as that is, as imperfect as it might be, that you would use it and you would breathe on it. And you wouldn't even wait for those moments. You would do it in, in our bedroom. you did it in our walk to work do it in our conversation over coffee you just begin to do something that only you can do through the power of the holy spirit in the ways that we need you to do and i pray i pray not for any glory for us and i pray for all of the churches across the city but i ask just because you've given us oversight here i ask for this community that we would be known as a place where something happens to you where change is possible, where hopelessness does not stay, where there is welcome for the stranger, where I can get help because God is there. Not because of some clever preacher, man, that would never happen, but you know what I'm saying. Because God is there in the people, in their love for one another and in their expectation that he is real and can do something about you. So I ask this for each person, Lord, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I just give a moment of quiet. Just I want to give a minute of quiet to not rush off before the Lord has done what he wants to do. I know maybe a minute is not enough, Lord. I hope to give you more just give you this moment. Some of you, what God is going to do is going to be so dramatic that you will wonder what your life was before. Like, how did I live with that burden that I carried around for so long and I never knew I could be free like this? And God's going to do that for you. Some of you have had deep wounds that just plague you. Every conversation you have, every relationship that you enter, it just got this extra dynamic. That you don't seem to know how to resolve and you wish that God would just do something about it. And I believe that God is going to do it. And some of you, it'll be in a moment of fire, like we talked about. Some of you will be through the practices or formation that you put in place. Over time, God begins to bring deep transformation and healing to your very being. And when he does it for you, he will multiply that out through you to many. When he deals with your trauma of abandonment and reminds you that you've been adopted into his family in a visceral way, you will be a source of acceptance and embrace to many who feel like they do not belong in this world. And that will be the way they encounter the good news. Lord, let it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Guys, bless you. And um, looking forward to the next few weeks with you. Um, don't rush off. Grab a coffee. If you feel like God is doing something this morning, putting his finger on something in your heart, you would love someone to pray for you. Um, don't rush off, um, uh, just come up to the front, one of the seats in the front, we'll grab someone who will pray for you, um, if you've got kids, it'd be amazing if you could go and release our kids leaders, although they look like they're having the most, or sound like they're having the most amazing fun, I may not want to go with you, um, and uh, yeah, bless you, connect with those things in the week, and yeah, we'll touch base soon. <coughs>